Well, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's good this morning. If you do have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in the book of Romans. As you can see on the screen, we will be in chapter 15 today, uh, closing out. For those of y'all who were here most of the semester, you may remember earlier in the semester, Kevin was out, and uh, I filled in for him, and I said, bro, am I, uh, I going to get to teaching Romans? And he said, no, man, I, I kind of planned on a gap that day. And uh, if you were here, I, I said, well, it's probably fair enough. Uh, giving me Romans is about like giving a toddler a torch and asking them not to burn down the house. And uh, I now have the torch. I'm praying I don't burn down the house. So we'll, uh, we'll see. Miss Val said she'll stand up here with a uh, uh, fire extinguisher and help out if need be. But we are in Romans chapter 15 this morning. If, if you've been here uh, this school year, it's been a great series as Kevin has walked through. Now, the biggest thing uh, to think about is, especially today, today we're covering a chapter and a half. Uh, these big chunks, and then Kevin and I will be doing this this summer. For those of you who are here this summer, Kevin's been announcing that he and I will do an overview of First and Second Samuel this summer, so we're looking forward to doing that as well. But the thing about an overview is pretty cool. Um, if you guys ever flown in a plane before and sat next to the window, it's kind of like that, right? If I'm, if I'm flying over an area, I can look out the window and I can see a neighborhood. I can see houses. Sometimes you can see cars and things of that nature, but, but what you don't see is you, you're not close enough to, to see details like the color of the shutters or the numbers on the mailbox or the type of bushes they have on the front porch. You miss some of those things, and, and those are some of the things that you miss when you do an overview looking at Scripture or looking at a text as well, but what you do see is you see the bigger picture, right? You see how that house fits in correlation with the neighborhood and how that neighborhood fits in correlation with the whole area. And so that's kind of what we're doing as we fly over. And today we look at the last segment of the book of Romans. And I want to keep that analogy in mind uh, as we're flying over and we're looking at it. And today in Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14, the combination we're going to look at, it, I've broken it up into four sections, is looking at our part in correlation with God's plans, right? Our part in correlation with God's plans. In the first part, in chapter 15, starting in verses 14, and going through chapter 22, we see our understanding of the gospel and God's plans for us to use it. Our understanding of the gospel and God's plans for us to use it. Romans chapter 15, verse 14 says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. In this section, we see our understanding of the gospel and God's plan 
for us to use it. Notice it in verses 14, 15, and 16. Paul points out about the recipients of his letter. The first thing he points out about the recipients of his letter is that they're spiritually mature. Look at the end of verse 14. He says, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. He's writing to a church in Rome who has believers that are spiritually mature. Unlike when he first went to Philippi, and we see the letter to Philippians was an area in a congregation that had a new element of believers or in Corinthians or other places. Here, what he's saying is that he's writing to people that are spiritually mature, but yet, even in their spiritual maturity, they still have room to grow. Verse 15, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. We've talked about that uh, uh, extensively here, both Kevin and I have, that no matter how far in life you go, no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, as long as we are here on this earth, there's always room that we can grow. There's always more areas of our lives that need to be transformed and conformed to the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ. And we should never find ourselves at a place that we think we have arrived here on earth and we're good growing spiritually. And that's what we see here as his recipients of this letter. And also we see in verses 18 and 19 how Paul's use of the gospel is, number one, to believe in God, and number two, to obey God. His use of the gospel is that they would believe in God, and then secondly, that they would obey God. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. Now, this combination is pretty cool. Because where else do we see this combination of believing in God and obeying God but in the Great Commission, right? The, the, the last thing uh, that Jesus said to his followers is, is that they would, right, that they would go. And as they're going, that they would make disciples of all nations and teaching them to obey everything that he had commanded them. And it's important for us to remember that salvation is not the end goal of the Great Commission, discipleship is. And so if you've ever been on mission or on a mission trip, whether it be a short-term mission trip, an extended stay, or a career missionary, one of the things that you'll understand is that, yes, your goal is to encounter people and to help them encounter Jesus, but then that's not the end game, right? You don't just walk away and go, okay, well, my, my time here is done. No, it's to transition them into discipleship and growth and development Disciples making disciples, that's what it says, right? And teaching them to obey everything that we have commanded. And it's important for us, just as Paul wrote to the church in Rome, to understand that the gospel is not just for salvation. The gospel is also for sanctification. Uh, I think too often times we feel like the gospel is something we respond to in the beginning, and then that's it. Like, we don't, we don't need that anymore, right? Some of you have graduated, and some of you have no desire to ever continue pursuing a degree ever again, right? And that's fine, you know. Somebody said amen. Did I hear an amen out there? No, I'm just kidding. And, uh, and some of you are like thermostats. You want to rack up degrees as far as you can count, right, Dr. Foshi? But the thing is, is that, um, is that you, uh, you, you know, you, you, you get to this place where you go, okay, well, I'm done, right? I, I've done all that I could do. But as Christians, we don't need to see the gospel that way. J.D. Greer is a pastor in North Carolina, and he explained it best this way with the illustration of a swimming pool. He said, too often times we feel like the gospel is the diving board, 
that gets us into the swimming pool of life when the truth of the matter is the gospel is both the diving board and the swimming pool. It's what catapults us into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's also the thing that we immerse ourselves in as we walk with Jesus and as we grow in our walk with Jesus. Now, as Paul talks about this, um, the important facts that we need to see that he points out in verse 19 is that when it comes to the church in Rome and when it comes to you and me, we don't believe and receive the gospel because of someone's talents, abilities, and personality, right? It's, it's kind of like this. Like so many people may grow up with a pastor or you may grow up listening to somebody. Of course, nowadays with, with the internet and social media and YouTube, you can listen to anybody literally all over the world, right, who, who, who has preached and teach. <clears throat> and somebody goes, man, I love this person, right? Like they make the Bible come alive. Well, in all fairness, they don't make the Bible come alive. The Bible is already alive, right? The Bible says it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That person's talents, abilities, and personality is not what makes the gospel come alive for you. What is it? It's the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. See what he says here in verse 19. He says, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. And so Paul is reminding them, we even see this in the New Testament where some of these churches would argue, oh, well, we like Paul, well, we like Peter, well, we like Apollos. And what they were doing is they were putting their stock in the person, you know, the personality, the talents, the abilities. And Paul himself said, but who are we? It's not us that is drawing you to the gospel, right? It's Jesus that's drawing you to the gospel. And that's important for us to understand that, yes, People that God has placed in our lives will have an impact on us in a mighty way. And some people will have a greater impact on you than others. Just the way God knits your hearts together. But it's not that person that helps you grow in the gospel. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. Subsequently, Paul says, we don't see other people changed and transformed for the gospel because of our personalities or our talents or our abilities. So if you're in a place where God has given you, say, the spiritual gift of evangelism, or maybe he's given you a lot of different talents of teaching or preaching or whatever it may be, and you start seeing people respond to Jesus Christ, you should never get to a place where you realize it's because of you that those people came to faith in Jesus Christ or that they grew in Jesus Christ. We also need to be reminded that when God gives us people to, to see their lives changed, that, too, is because of the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you read through the New Testament, maybe other than Simon Peter, there isn't anybody who could stack a taller resume than Paul. <laughs> I mean, dude was legit, right? If he was applying for a job somewhere, his resume would sit atop of the stack. It just would. And he even confessed that in one of his letters, right? He's lining up his resume, and he's like, but take all of that and throw it out. Because all of that still hinges on the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who did the work and the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us understand that and receive that. And you say, oh man, well, how does that apply to me? Well, here's that, how that applies to you. Maybe you don't have that dynamic personality that somebody else you know has. Maybe you don't have these incredible talents and gifts that somebody else you know has. And maybe Satan will use that to tell you to say like, oh, well, I can't have the level of impact that somebody else has because I'm not like that person. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because the same Holy Spirit that equipped and used Paul the Apostle is the same Holy Spirit that equips and uses you and me. 
And the gospel that Paul responded to is the same gospel that you and I respond to. The same Jesus Christ who died and saved Paul is the same Jesus Christ who died and saved us. <laughs> and so that's awesome for us to remember that those things, both our response and other people's response, don't hinge on our personal abilities and talents, but on the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. So the first neighborhood that we look at when we fly over Romans 15 and 16 is our understanding of the gospel and God's plans for us to use it. Our understanding is that we would continue to grow in our knowledge and recognition of God's work in our lives. And God's plans to use it is that we would continue our journey of growth, that we may be, as Paul says here about the church in Rome, full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Well, as we continue on our journey, flying over, we look out the window, and here's the second neighborhood that we find in chapter 15, verse 23, and that is our plans for ministry and God's plans for us. Our plans for ministry and God's plans for us. Look in chapter 15, verse 23. It says, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on the way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, we're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owed it to me. For, for if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received their contributions, I will go to Spain and I will visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy and by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now you may say, what in the world do we take away from Paul's journal about his travel, <laughs> about his travel plans? Well, the same Holy Spirit that inspired this text inspired other things written in Romans. And one of the things that we see is that our plans for ministry <clears throat> and then God's plans for us. In this passage, and also in verse 20, <clears throat> Paul expressed he had two sole desires while he was out ministering and while he was out traveling. Number one, he wanted to visit the church in Rome. You know, uh, there's a lot of speculation there, and we see a lot of things. We're not 100% sure exactly what Paul's overwhelming uh, connection was in the church of Rome, like why he mentions on so many occasions, like why he wanted to go there, but he had a love to go there. Probably like you and me, I bet most of us in this room, if you said, hey, um, if you had an opportunity to go this year on a mission trip, like where would be somewhere that you'd want to go? And all of us could probably throw something out there, right, that we would love to go see, be involved in. Maybe we know the people there. Maybe something about the country is, is, is appealing to us. Uh, maybe we've heard of a work there and we want to go see it with our own eyes. Whatever it is, God's knit your heart to a certain area 
or a certain people group around the world. Paul had that for Rome. The second thing his desire was, was that he wanted to preach the gospel where it wasn't being preached. He knew that the gospel was set up in certain places. Paul didn't stay anywhere for an extended period of time. He would go there. He would plant the gospel, stay for a short period, and then he would move on to some, somewhere else, just like Jesus did. And he was able to do these things. He was able to both visit the church in Rome, and he was able to also preach the gospel where it had never been preached. But it just didn't happen in the way that he had planned it. It didn't happen in the way that he had planned. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, if you continue reading on and elsewhere in Scripture and you look at historical documents, Paul did end up going to Rome. But he didn't go into Rome as a free man. He went into Rome as a prisoner in chains. So yes, he was in Rome, but he was in a prison cell being guarded until the day that he was finally executed there in Rome. And the church in Rome did get to visit with Paul, but it wasn't with him standing in their pulpit, leading small groups, or eating in their homes. It was them visiting him in prison. So did Paul get to experience his desire to visit the church in Rome? Yes, he did. Did he get to do it in the way that he had planned and the way he had hoped for? No, he did not. But it happened. The second thing that Paul wanted to do was he wanted to preach the gospel all over the world. Go where the gospel had not been preached. As Paul began to grow and move along in his journey of ministry, he was arrested. And Paul spent a lot of his time in prison. So the guy who's wanting to be on the move is now constrained and not able to be on the move. So what does Paul start doing? He gets out a paper, and he gets out a pen, and he starts writing letters. We get letters like Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon in Paul's time while he was in prison. You say, well, Greg, why is that a big deal? Because people are still being saved today, reading and hearing passages that Paul wrote while he was in prison. Paul's desire for people to hear the gospel where they haven't heard it before are still hearing the gospel when they haven't before and where they haven't before because Paul was sitting in a prison cell writing a letter. Paul actually got to share the gospel with more people in more places by sitting in prison than he would have if he would have been a free man traveling around on mission trips. You ever thought about that? So, for example, because Paul was in prison not getting to travel... We and other people around the world hear Ephesians 1, 8, 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man may boast. People still give their lives to Christ today in the hearing of that passage. Or maybe Philippians chapter 2, a passage that many of us know. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Or how about Colossians writing this from a prison cell? 
The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell on him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You say, Greg, what's the point of this about we have our ministry plans, but God also has plans for us? Proverbs 16, 9 sums it up best when the author of Proverbs says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Is it good for you and for me to have dreams and to have goals in our life, impact that we want to make in places that we want to make? Absolutely. Absolutely. You should have those dreams and desires. Somebody should ask you, what is the goal of your life? And the goal of your life should include somewhere in there the opportunity to have an impact for the kingdom of God wherever you are and whatever you're doing. It should be in there, but we should hold those plans and dreams loosely in case God's plans and goals for us are a little bit different. He may still help you achieve those goals and plans and dreams. He just may use different avenues in order to bring those about like he did with Paul. And here's the thing, guys. Sometimes we'll live long enough or we'll be in a situation where we get to see it. And sometimes we will not. Sometimes we will not. One of the things I love about the Bible and one of the things I love about the gospel is transparency, right? The, the Bible is full of people's wonderful achievements and people's warts and failures, right? That's one of the great things about the Bible versus any other so-called religious book. That's also one of the blessings of the gospel. So in, in tying in with that, I'll share a couple stories from my life. Some of you know who I am. Some of you have never met me. Some of you are like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's not Kevin, and you would be correct, <laughs> uh, both in sight and in talent. But the thing is, is that uh, I had the chance to be a youth pastor for 18 years. Yeah, that's, see all this wisdom on my head and on my face? I'm only 32. Uh, just kidding. But the thing is, is that uh, I had a chance to be a youth pastor for 18 years. And, and while I was a youth pastor, uh, I had a, a real desire, a strong desire to transition to college ministry of some kind. And so I pursued all these avenues and all these routes. And, and guess what? None of them ever came to fruition. Some of them were very weird and odd situations, right? And, and some of them were ones that it was like, it should have been a slam dunk. And it wasn't. And I really struggled with that because I'm like, man, Lord, like what in the world is going on? And, and it just never came to fruition. And to be honest with you, in full transparency, I have no idea why. I have no idea why the Lord never gave me the opportunity to serve in a collegiate role as a minister of the gospel. But he placed me in a college town where I have tons of interaction with college students. Not as fine as you guys, but close. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, actually, half of you guys, I think. But, uh, but yeah, so the thing is that I've had that opportunity to do those things, maybe just not at the level that I had wanted to. Uh, the second thing is, several years ago, as I realized I was aging out of youth ministry, both through all of the surgeries I was having from continuing to be a youth pastor and jump at trampoline parks, as well as just getting older and realizing that Red Bull could not keep me up all night anymore, uh, I started to think, well, what do I want to do? 
I thought, well, my background and my, my foundation is in graphic design, so maybe I'll just transition back to that. So I began praying to the Lord, and I began submitting my resume. I started interviewing with all these places, and sure enough, like nothing ever came to fruition. Some that I figured would be a slam dunk, and I'm like, I just, I don't get it. You know, here I am just kind of trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And then back in January, I had a chance to interview with the College of Engineering at Auburn University on their communication and marketing team, and that's now where I work as a graphic designer. And I've only been there three months, but last month I was talking to one of my coworkers, and I said, I can now look back at all the other positions that I applied for and all the other ones I interviewed for, and this one truly is the best fit and the best options of all the ones that I had applied for. You say, well, Greg, what in the world does that have to do with anything? It has to do with this. We have these plans, we have these goals, we have these dreams, but we hold them loosely because God may have different plans and different goals and different dreams, and no matter how they work out, no matter how they work out, whether we see it or whether we don't, we should have a heart that always confesses Psalm 136.1 that says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I bet if you were to go back in time and ask Paul, Paul, would you have liked to have encountered the church at Rome differently? My guess is he'd probably say, sure. I mean, why would Paul not have wanted to stand in the pulpit in Rome and preach to the church there or sit with them at their dinner table or lead small groups? Like, why would Paul not have wanted those things versus sitting in prison? <laughs> or if you'd ask Paul, like, hey, Paul, would you have liked to have gone out and gone to these areas that you had a desire to go share the gospel with versus sitting in prison writing letters. I would imagine he would have said, yeah, I would have loved to have gone to those places and seen those people in person. But I bet if you were to ask Paul, because we see it in his writings, would you have changed it? He probably would have said no. He probably would have said no. Why? Because God is good and his love endures forever. So looking out this window in the flyover of Romans 15 and 16, the first neighborhood we saw that our understanding of the gospel and God's plans for us to use it. We just crossed over neighborhood two where we saw our plans for ministry and there's God's plans for us. We're journeying on down the street now. We're transitioning into chapter 16 and the third neighborhood that we fly over is our plans for community and God's plans to use it. Our plans for community and God's plans to use it. Now, it's a laundry list of names. Um, when I was in seminary decades ago, um, I passed Greek by the skin of my teeth. And so the way that you pronounce Bible names is just fast and with confidence, and nobody knows the difference, all right? <laughs> so in, in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in that place. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help that she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. And here goes the yearbook of Romans, if you will. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelatus, my dear friend in the Lord. 
Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, who, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Astrobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who, is, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, those women who worked in the Lord. Greet my friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Man, I'm not even going to try those names. And the other brothers and sisters with them. <laughs> if anybody wants to come give it a shot, I'll hand the microphone home for a few minutes. This is, this, but don't miss. Hang on. Don't miss the meat from the bones, right? Don't miss what's going on here. We're going to cover that in just a second because we get lost in the names. Their names were, I always had to remind myself, their names were in there for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're worthy of being noted. Uh, I'm just trying. I just struggled. The, the high school that I graduated from got closed down because it was so bad. So I struggled trusting anything I learned in English growing up, right? So, fun fact. It's actually true. Uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Verse 17. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, and the grace of our Lord Jesus will be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. We'll go with that one. My fellow Jews, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greeting. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now, I'm guessing you probably haven't had a whole lot of Romans chapter 16 stitched on a pillow sitting on your couch or on a rug hanging in your grandmother's den. But there is a lot here for us to see uh, about our plans for community and God's plans to use it. And you say, well, Greg, how in the world do you pull something out of this? Well, notice what, what Paul's instructions are. What his instructions to the church in Rome before he lists all these people is that he asked the church in Rome to receive and to greet these people, <clears throat> to receive them and to greet them. What is that? We can call that Christian community. You can just call that Christian community. It's kind of one of those things like you can go visit somewhere in a church and you instantly have a bond with that person because you're both followers of Jesus Christ, right? And, and notice what he says in here on this list. If you break down the list, if you separate the names from what he's telling about these people, is that you see both men and women, you see both Jews and Gentiles, which, to be honest with you, at this time, they didn't always play well together, right? They had a lot of their struggles. You see young and old, both in age and in spiritual maturity. You see people who have been Christ followers for a long time, he says, and people who are new converts to Christ, which means they're spiritually immature. Basically, what he's saying here is that the whole gambit of Christian community covers people who are like you and people who aren't like you. And he says, number one, I want you to continue in your reputation. Notice what he, he says in here in, in verse 19. He, he says, I rejoice because of you. 
right? He, he rejoices. He says, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of people and to give any help that she may need. Apparently, the church in Rome was pretty good at receiving a lot of people or else Paul wouldn't have told them he was proud of them and he was encouraged by them and given them this long list of names. But he says in verse 17, but be diligent to guard that community so that it doesn't slip away. Continue to guard that community and recognize the community that you have and the diversity in that community that you have and then guard it. Like work really hard to make sure that that stays there. If you weren't here last week, Kevin did a great job looking back in chapters 14 in the first part of 15 where he talks about how one of the ways we can guard that is, is having conflict resolution when things happen within the church. I encourage you to go back and listen to that if you, if you missed it. And, and the second thing, he's, or the third thing he says is to, to be diligent to stay the course, focused and knowledgeable about the things of the gospel and not being drawn away by the things of this world. I've had a chance to, to be here in Auburn and to, and to be at Lakeview uh, for almost 21 years now, which is a long time. And I've seen a lot of cycles of people coming in and out of the college ministry at, at Lakeview. Most college students average about three years, I guess, right? Some less, some more uh, being here. And one of the things that I've always loved about Lakeview is how we work really hard to make sure that the college ministry is, is ingrained into the life of the church, that you guys aren't your own separate ministry away from the rest of the church. Now, why is that? Because on a normal Sunday, those of you who have been here before, parents who are visiting or siblings who are visiting on a, on a normal Sunday morning, this room is full of college students, but it's also full of adults, uh, people who are maybe right out of college, all the way up to people who, you know, we, we wear our API badges proudly, right, Wheeler? And, and the thing is, is that, you know, it's, it's the whole gambit of, of people connected with one another and vice versa. You, you guys are so encouraging because you're not the church of tomorrow. You are the church of today in the church that you're a member of. Even Katie asking for people to help out in preschool, right? College students are a lifeblood of this church when it comes to preschool and children and youth. My own children have had some of you uh, as their own equipping group leaders or VBS workers. Heck, the choir, the orchestra, right? I mean, all of it. And, and it's wonderful because that's how the church is supposed to be. And what Paul says is we have to be careful to make sure that we keep it that way. As our college ministry grows, I've been so proud of all of our college ministers and our pastors because they want to keep that there. And Paul says that's important. Make sure that stays. You know, and those of you who have graduated, when you move on to another church, right, don't just find a church to attend. Find a, a church that you can invest in. We've benefited greatly from your time and your talents. You have edified us well with the gifts that the Lord has given you. Don't let that stop when you move somewhere else. Keep that going. Find the next congregation. Find the next person that you can use those time and talents with to invest in because Paul says that is what God's plan for community is. He says, I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Keep investing in the gospel and don't get drawn away by the things of this world. Well, as we prepare for landing, we're now putting up our seat backs and our trade tables in their upright and locked positions. And as the landing gear comes out and as we begin our descent for landing, we look out at the window one last time and we see this last neighborhood nestled in next to the runway in chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. It's simply this, our response to this letter and God's plans for us to live it out. 
our response to this letter and God's plans for us to live it out. Look in chapter 16, verse 25. It says, now to him who is able to establish, right? Paul's done. He's, he's, he's finally putting down the pen of, of writing the letter of Romans, and he's closing it out with his closing little statement, the little comma, yours in Christ, Paul, right? You know, uh, now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Our response to this letter and God's plans for us to live it out. Notice how he starts his closing segment. Now to him. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance. This him is Jesus Christ. From Romans 1.1 all the way to the end of Romans 16, Romans is focused around one thing and one thing only, and that's Jesus Christ. The redemptive work that he did, God's plan to use that for our salvation, and what that looks like for you and for me to receive him as our Savior and to walk in a relationship with him for our lives. Now to him who is able to establish Jesus is the one who establishes us. He establishes our faith when we hear the gospel. He establishes our faith when we receive the gospel. He establishes our faith when we live in the gospel. Why? Because as Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us, he is the author and the perfecter of that faith. That's why and how he can establish us in our faith. So what is our response to this letter about the Lord Jesus and about us is to continue to grow in knowledge and experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? So that, number two, we will live out God's plan for us, as he says here, that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Well, we've now landed. We are now done with Romans. Thank you for the journey. Please leave a good review on Yelp. No, I'm just kidding, but... But you, here's the thing about a journey, right? As we come to a close in the book of Romans, here's the thing about a journey. When you and I set out on a journey, Lord willing, when the journey's done, we're not in the same place we were when we started. That's not a good journey, you know? I've had many of those moments. Unlike you, I had a sibling that we struggled getting along together when I was younger, right? And unlike you, my dad would turn around. You want me to turn this car around, Right? And I had the sarcastic brother that goes, sure, Dad, that'd be great. Won't you spend more time with us in the car going back home than you will just getting to the destination? Just so you know, it didn't work out well for my brother when he responded like that. But, but the thing about a journey is, is that when you land, when you finish the journey, you're not in the same place you were when you started. Kevin's desire, my desire is that as we've journeyed through Romans, you too would not be in the same place you were when you started, reading and studying the Bible. All right. We have a little bit of time around your table group times. Those of you who may be new or visiting with us, we like to spend time for everybody to kind of discuss, flesh out certain things around your table groups. A handful of things that I thought of that you may could talk about in your table groups to close out this morning would be, you know, something about this passage that stands out to you. There's a, there's a lot there. Maybe what are some ways that you've grown this school year studying Romans? Um, you know, what's one thing that you've learned in Romans that you know God wants you to live out? Is there something that really kind of stood out to you listening to, to Kevin teach through Romans? Um, 
what, why is it important to loosely hold our plans in case God has different plans? What does Christian community look like for you and how important is it in your life? I think there's a lot of things there that we can discuss. So I'll pray. You guys can have a, a little bit of time around your table and then Katie or I won. We'll probably play paper, rock, scissors to see who gets.